Our reading from God's Word today comes from Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the oceans. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Center Church. Good morning, Christ Center Church. Good morning. We're glad you could join us. I love the angel shared about community engagement. And I love the fact that she read the, the verse in Micah. Uh, because often we'll talk about this in a little bit, but community engagement and our outreach is not just merely a subset of a Christian life, but it's embodiment of who we are. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're not saying you have to do all the things, but we'd love you for to check it out, be involved, um, and grow and learn with us as we continue to grow together at the leadership of this great sisters that lead this ministry as well with us. Um, good morning, Christ Central again. My name is Josh Kim, a pastor here at Christ Central Church. We're glad you could have joined us today. If you're new for the first time joining us, or you've been joining us for a while, we love, as we saw the testimonies, share your journey with us, whether by stopping by our welcome table or by stopping at Red Chairs during prayer time. We'd love to hear with you, pray with you, and wrestle in this life with you. We continue our sermon series in Minor Prophets, and today we complete Micah. Finally, we're done with Micah. And probably you're like, finally, right? After hearing the same story about judgment, judgment, judgment again, perhaps we are grateful that Micah, a prophet from Moreshet, is completed. And if you recall, Micah is a prophet that worked in Israel and Judah before their destruction and exile due to their disobedience. And we saw that Micah is broken up by these three sections, starting with listen or hear, a shema of uh, what Micah said. This is what God is telling us. And as we saw, Micah's name also means, who is like you? And today we're going to actually see that wrap up through this process. Before we begin, let's pray and ask God to give us hearts 
to open ears to hear, eyes to see, um, and hearts to be transformed by the word so we can live this out as God calls us to do so. Let's pray. Father, we pray for that. Open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to see, knowing that grass withers, flowers fade, but water God stands forever. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. It is proven fact that children start asking life-altering questions right before they go to sleep. You could ask about how their day was after school. They will say, okay, and they won't tell you anything about it. But right before they go to sleep, they often ask you questions that makes you pause and think about life as a whole. And, of course, that often happens in our Kim household. After you do your nightly rituals, brush your teeth, changing your PJs, tucked in, and you're thinking, I finally did it. I'm going to go and do what I want to do. And we prayed, and we say goodnight. And he give you a kiss, and about to leave, he asked, Daddy, and I know what's coming. Yes. And he would ask questions like, who is God? <sighs> a simple yet thought-provoking question comes right before they go to bed. And I found myself struggling to give, should I give a Sunday school answer? Like, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, amen, let's go to sleep. Or do I give him a theological answer that you study and you roll over? Sometimes you can find books on it. People make a living off of that. Um, writing thousands, thousands of uh, pages about it. Do I give him that answer, which is really good? Um, what do I do when he asks questions like this and a difficult question at that? Who is God? Perhaps the only difference our young children from that of the youth that are sitting here as well as the grown-ups that are sitting here perhaps might be the ability to voice and being honest in asking that question, who really is this God? Who is this Jesus figure that we just sang about for a good 20 minutes? Who is that to me, to us, to you? Whether you're sitting by the bedside thumped at a child's question of who is God, or whether you're answering a question of a skeptic who argues of God's presence and existence of suffering in the world, whether you're sitting in the puddles of tears and fears of your own wondering, has God left you? The question rings in all of our hearts and minds. Perhaps even today as you're sitting here thinking, who is this God to you? After all, your answer to this question not only tickles your intellectual curiosity, but as far as you and I know it, it should, and it does, change the entire trajectory of your life. Not only what you know, but how you live and what you believe, and ultimately the answer results in who you are becoming as a result of answering the question, who is God? And as you saw earlier, Prophet Micah's name literally means who is like our God. And in order to answer the question, we have to ask the question, who is God in the first place? And we have seen thus far in Micah, the very question is what Israelites and Judeans are wrestling in as they face the impending judgment and the consequences of their sins, as they wonder why this may be happening to them and what more is coming after, the question of who is our God is a question they're wrestling with. And I believe that's a question that you and I must wrestle with this morning as well as we journey through our life wondering what is God doing in our life. So as we wrap up Micah, we're going to do that. And Micah does that for us in chapters 6 and 7. I have to apologize. I didn't get a chance to send in my additional verses because we're covering chapters 6 and 7. So it's going to be like old school style. Make, your, make sure your Bibles are handy. 
or your phone apps are handy. I'm going to fly through chapter 6 and 7, and we're going to answer this question, who is God? And the first answer Micah gives us of who is God is that God is, in fact, the promise keeper, the promise keeper. The conversation at the bedside continued on. As I was fumbling through my words, thinking, well, son, not knowing what to say or communicate clearly to a mind of a young child, my heart started to race, thinking, what can I say so that a child can understand who God is? The seminary education has not prepared me for this. I was wondering, how do I say this? And I thought, maybe I could just relate to him first. And I said, remember when Daddy promised you that he would take you to the happiest place on earth, Disney World, one day? And he said, yes, Daddy. And did Daddy keep that promise? Mommy did. No, yes, Daddy. (laughs) Daddy, you did. And well, the Bible tells us, in fact, our God is the great promise keeper, the greatest promise keeper of them all. And Michael actually shows us that in these chapters as he wraps up. He tells us that God is the grand promise keeper. Time and time again, Micah points us towards God by showing us what he is up against, what he hates. And Micah highlighted each incident of those prophetic summons by saying, Shema, well, hear what the Lord says. And beginning of verse 1 in chapter 6, again, Micah brings our attention back and makes a final case, now invites God to set forth his case before the creation. Micah chapter 6, verse 1 says, Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to your witness of your complaints. And here God brings his final case against Israelites. Before the creation he created, and this is what God says. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt, redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? Remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. What is highlighted here? Well, if you're an Israelite, if you're Judeans, there are two stories that you're told time and time again. Not only told, but in fact, you're told to memorize this. All children growing up are told to memorize and remember these stories. And what are they? First story, God refers to a deliverance of Israel out of land of Egypt through Exodus' journey. That's told about in the book of Exodus. And the second story that God talks about is God's desire to bless Israelites and not curse them. Coming from book of Numbers, chapter 22-24, in the wilderness journey as they face the foreman of a foe, but God blesses them instead. And why are these stories told time and time again? They're told and told to Israelites to memorize them, to remember that God has been faithful in the past. To remember, this is God who brought you out of land of Egypt. This is God who led you through the Exodus. This is God who will lead you into Canaan to remind them of past faithfulness. And they are told time and time again because past promises kept reminds them that God was faithful in the past, then he will surely be faithful in the future. But what else does it show? It shows that not only God keeps his promises, 
but he keeps his promises because God is God who chose Israelites first and became their God. Not only God tells them of their past and of his faithfulness, but through the actions that he has done, he shows them, this is who I am. In more simpler terms, Micah said, God wants you to remember who I am to you. And I want you to remember who you are, Israelites. You are my people that I chose, and I am your God. And the question for us as we wrestle with the question of who is God is, how do you live with this promised keeper? How do you respond to this promised keeper who God says, I am a promised keeper who will keep his faithfulness with you till the end? How do you live with this promised keeper? The scripture tells us, it says, we also have to keep our end of the bargain by keeping our promises. That's what covenant stipulation talks about, being in a covenant together. So what does that look like? Oftentimes, we run immediately into then, well, in order for me to keep my end of the bargain, that means I have to do all these rules and laws, right? And for Israelites, perhaps that means keeping track of all the offerings that you read about and all the festivities that you're supposed to do. And we often jump straight to the rules and laws that we have to follow. And Micah, as if to anticipate their question, lists them. And he says, what can we bring to the Lord? In verse 6, should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we vow before the God Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And church, I think this is a trap we all fall into. Yes, we say God is a great promise keeper. And we often immediately run towards and says, now what do I have to do? List of to-dos and not-to-dos. And sometimes we make up things and add on to the things we're supposed to do. And if not, the list of to-dos and what not-to-dos, when you go through hardships, you wonder, the first thought that comes to your mind is, what didn't I do? Did I not do enough so that God is punishing me? Or did I do something where God is mad at me? Because in our minds, sometimes how we see God as a promise keeper is a transactional God. Tit for tat, if I do this for you, you do this for me type of God. And here, answering that question, this is what Micah tells us one of the most coded scriptures that we know. It says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So church, what is Micah saying? What Micah is telling us, it is more about, not just merely about keeping the rules and laws, it's becoming who you are. It's more about who you are and what you are doing, the life that God has given you with. Again, this does not negate the offerings, the festivities, the rules and the laws that God gives. In fact, the rules and laws are given to us so that we can know more about God And he teaches us how to live it out. But what Micah tells us at the heart of what it means to live with the promise keeper, these actions of doing right, loving mercy, walking humbly, are a natural outflow of the one who follows Christ. The one who follows covenant-keeping God. This is a natural 
outflow of those who receive the promise of the Lord. So what we see is God is the promise keeper, and who we are are those who follow the promise keeper is a person that now, out of the love for the Lord, who does justice, who do justice, who love mercy, who walk humbly. This is not what woke Christians do. This is not what liberals do. This is not the labels that people place that people do. This is not those people out there that do crazy stuff people do. This is not, quote-unquote, outgoing Christians are supposed to do. Rather, this is a mark of every single Christian, a true follower of Christ, true follower of the way. We often misquote this verse and say, this is what we have to do. But we have to remember the context it's given, meaning out of love for the Lord, the promise of the Lord, the natural outflow is loving our neighbors, loving those around us. Perhaps one of the most revered persons who actually lived this out is Mother Teresa. And this is what she said once. She said, when I helped the poor... I was called a saint. But when I, was, when I asked why they were poor, I was called a communist. Did you hear that? When I helped the poor, they called me a saint. But when I asked why they were poor, I was called a communist. You know, she knew that compassion ultimately leads to justice. She called those in position of power to use it for the marginalized. True concern goes to the root. We become advocates. We look for systematic causes. We fight for justice. It is a natural overflow. You cannot divorce your advocacy act of justice apart from your love for the Lord. Church, who is God to you this morning? Who is like our God? Who is a promise-keeping God to you? God who is faithful to his covenant. And what he calls us to do is overflow out of his covenant keeping to embrace his call to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What other answer does Micah give us? Not only does Micah give us and says, who is our God? He's a promise keeper. He says, who is our God? He is the hope giver, ultimate hope giver. The conversation at the bedside continues on. As my son looks at me and says, that's great, you took me to Disney World, but daddy, again, more questions coming. Why would you take me in the first place? Well, perhaps I'm tempted to say, well, I have to be a good daddy, right? <laughs> I read it and they said, in order to be a good daddy, do this, right? Um, or I thought, maybe, maybe because, you know, all the other good daddies are doing this, so maybe I should do this too. And then he said, but daddy, sometimes you tell me I don't listen. And then I thought about all the ways he does not listen. Asking him to brush his teeth for the tenth time to say, didn't I tell you this like nine times before? Please put on your clothes. Please put on your clothes that I bought for you. And I wonder if one day, finally one day, there'll be breakthrough. And he would ask, why, Daddy, despite all the things I don't do, will you still take me to the Disney World? What is my answer to that? 
Because in many ways, we're like our children to our God, aren't we? I wrote, we struggle to listen, but let's be, let's be honest. We don't listen, right? It's not we struggle to listen. Struggle means there's some desire there to listen. Sometimes we just flat out don't want to listen. Have you talked to anyone that's like, yeah, 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 sure, 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 pastor. I, I got you. I listen, but of course you turn around and look at my life. I just do whatever I want. Ultimately, that's what we do. I do that too. I'm not saying as a pastor, I don't do that. I struggle with you. We struggle to follow. We would say like Israelites, not marked by what is doing right, loving mercy and being humble. Rather, we're directly opposite of that. And Israelites struggle with this too. Maybe it's an understatement. They downright fail at this. So what is God's ultimate response to Israelites who fall into this? Does he say, that's right. You did not keep your end of the bargain. Therefore, I will not keep it either. And you and I would say, that's right. That's fair. Because that's how the world operates. Right? If you don't keep your promise, I will not keep my promise. That's why the covenant breaks apart. Oftentimes, that's how the world operates. But Micah tells us our God, in the midst of the broken covenant on our end, who is our God? He's the ultimate hope giver. And that's what we see in chapter 6. Micah continues to talk about the consequences of the broken relationship in chapter 6 verse 13 through 15. You don't have that up here. I'll read it for us. Therefore, I will wound you, he says. I'll bring you to ruins for all your sins. You'll eat but never have enough. Your hunger pangs and emptiness will remain. Though you try to save your money, it will come to nothing in the end. You will save a little, but I'll give it to those who conquer you. You will plant crops, but not harvest them. You'll press your olives, but not get enough oil to anoint yourself. You'll trample the grapes, but get no juice to make your wine. And continues on chapter 7 with the lament of now the full consequences of what is to come. He says, how miserable I am. I feel like the fruit picker at the harvest who, cannot find nothing, who can find nothing to eat. Not a cluster of grapes or a single earthly fig can be found to satisfy my hunger. The godly people have all disappeared. Not one honest person is left on the earth. They're all murderers, setting traps even for their own brothers. Both their hands are equally skilled at doing evil. Uh, officials and judges are alike in demand bribes. The people with influence get what they want and put together their scheme to twist justice. Church, it's nothing new under the sun. Even the best of them is like a briar. The most honest is as dangerous as the hedge of the thorns, but your judgment day is coming swiftly now. Your time of punishment is here, a time of confusion. Don't trust anyone, not your best friend or even your wife. For the son despises his father, daughter defies her mother, the daughter-in-law defies her mother-in-law, your enemies are right in your own household. And how often we feel the weight of this sin and the consequences in our lives today. If you don't feel it, just watch the news today. You'll feel the consequences of our world in turmoil with the war raging on, the marches, the separations, all this defiances, the, separ- the, the, the differences and all these things that are happening, not only within the world today, but within our own household. The sin that easily entangles us, the hopelessness that we all face. We see the impact of sin in our own family's life, in our own the world, in our politics, in our nations, in our world today with the war that rages on. And we see the impact of sin that entangles us and brokenness that compounds us. In the midst of all this, This is the hope that Micah now gives us in chapter 7. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. 
I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Do not glow over me, my enemies, for, I, for though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will be patient as the Lord punishes me, for I have sinned against him. But after that, he will take up my case, and he will give me justice for all I have suffered from my enemies. The Lord will bring me into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemies will see that the Lord is on my side. They will be ashamed, and they will taunt me, saying, So where is the Lord? The God of yours, with my own eyes, I will see their downfall. They will be trampled like mud in the streets. And when Micah is turning our attention is not only to the circumstances, but to the ultimate hope that God provides. And that hope is not only fulfilled when the exiles, the consequences are met and they return, but the hope what Micah points us to goes to the root, as we saw before. And now the coming king of Christ will come, he promises. And we find hope in this God who gives the ultimate hope in the midst of the puddles of sin that we're in. And that's why we read in Micah chapter 6, verse 16 through 17, all the nations, Micah says, of the world will stand amazed at the, what the Lord would, would do for you. They will be embarrassed at their feeble power. They will cover their mouth in silent awe, death to everything around them, like snakes crawling from their hole. They will come out to meet the Lord our God. They will fear him greatly, trembling in terror at his presence. And this promise is given and ultimately fulfilled in Christ who come, who comes to deal with the root cause of our issue, sin. And that is the hope that we have. And Micah points us not only to the promise-keeping God, but he says, who is like our God? The hope giver. I'm the giver of hope in the midst of your sin and the puddles of your struggle. And it begs the question again, church, if our God is the promise-keeper, if our God is the ultimate hope giver, in the places of where you are, will you trust in him? Will you place your faith in him. And it leads to the final answer that Micah gives us in this chapter. Not only he tells us our God is the promise keeper, not only he tells us our God is the ultimate hope giver, but he tells us that our God is God of love. Our God is God of love. As I continue to wrestle with the question that my son asks, why would you still take me if you tell me I still don't listen to you all the time? I finally came to my conclusion. I decided to throw away all the theological books out the door. And I said, baby, yes, daddy, who loves you more than anyone else in the whole world today? Mommy? Yes, mommy, always. But who is also who loves you more than anyone else in the whole world? He said, daddy, daddy loves me. And I pressed in, who loves you more than daddy and mommy? God? Yes, baby. Our God loves you more than anyone else in the whole wide world. Who is our God? He is your God who loves you. He is our God who loves us. God is love. And that's what we see in this final words of Micah as he answers his own name. 
who is like our God, he, who will keep his promises despite the failures to keep the promises on our end. Who is our God who will rescue and deliver his people against promise breakers, who will give hope to the hopeless when they can't seem to get out of their own way. Micah, again, anticipates the question and says this in chapter 7, verse 18 through 20. Who is another God like you? Or more appropriately translated, who is God like you? Who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people. You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depth of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness, unfailing love, as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. Church, this is what Micah tells us. After a long list of things we have not done right and how he, God makes a case against our sin, this is God's promise, God's hope that's rooted in love. He says, I will pardon not stay angry. Why? Because he delights in showing unfailing love. Church, you need to hear this this morning. This is God, who God is to you. He will keep his promise of rescue and deliverance, and he will give hope. Why? Because he will have compassion on you. He will punish sin. Yes, he has to punish sin, as we saw. But he will leave you in the depths of destruction. Why again? Because he desires to show his faithfulness, and unfailing love to you. Oh, Christ Central Church, this is our God. And he does this through sending his son. And as we saw in John chapter 3, he tells us because he loves us, he sends his only son. And this Jesus has compassion on the sheep without a shepherd. He cries over Jerusalem, over God's people in their brokenness. And he gives his life and cries, it is finished, knowing that he has to take the punishment of sin upon his shoulders when he keeps his promise for us and he gives us his righteousness, righteousness and he becomes the promise keeper, the hope giver, ultimately God who loves us and now calls us to follow after him out of love for the Lord. And now the question comes to us again, who is God to you? God who loves you, who gives you hope, who will keep his promises. Church, Micah reminds us this is our God. Starting next week, at Christ Central Church, we're going to celebrate, we're going to start celebrating 20, 20, years, 20 years of God's faithfulness to Christ Central Church. 20 years ago, we saw a glimpse of that in Dale's testimony. God planted Christ Central in the Plaza Midwood um, with the hope um, and the vision that God gave um, the founding group of what it means to be a church that shines in the city. And if you ever celebrate an anniversary, birthdays, weddings, you know you don't make it to 20 years without challenges, right? Just any, as any celebration, even a year celebration has a lot of challenges along the way. Not just times of joy, but also times of tears. Lots of mistakes were made along the way, the struggles. 20th year not only talks about, look at what, all the greatest thing we have done. It also talks about all the mistakes we have made in the past. Look at all the struggles we at the church still make today. It's not, wow, great, God has been faithful 20 years because we're so good. No, God has been faithful 20 years despite our attempt to mess it up. 
So we celebrate 20 years, not because of what we have done, but what God has done despite our struggles. And we celebrate it. Throughout the joyous times, throughout the hardship signs, we pull through because God has been faithful. And we are going to recommit ourselves again to the body of Christ, not just merely name of Christ-centered church, but the body of Christ that God has called us to emulate, to follow, to love, not just because we're headed to somewhere spectacular, not only because we hope to have a new pastor in place to lead us, not only because we want to do all the right things, do good, love justice, and also walk humbly before the Lord. Yes, we want to do all those things, but we look forward to, and we we commit ourselves to, and we celebrate the 20 years, and we long for 20, 40, 60 years more of God's faithfulness because God is faithful. God is a promise keeper. God is the hope giver. And ultimately, as long as God calls us as Christ Central Church, God will keep us as his bride. So along with God's people, this is what we pray. Fittingly, ending with Micah chapter 7, verse 7. As for me, I look to the Lord, or we look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Do not glow over me, my enemies, for though I fall, I rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will be patient as the Lord punishes me, for I have sinned against him. But after that, he will take up my case and give me justice for all I have suffered from my enemies. The Lord will bring me into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemies will see that the Lord is on my side. They will be ashamed, and they taught me, saying, So where is the Lord? The God of yours, with my own eyes, I will see their downfall. They will be trampled like mud in the streets. This is our promise. Amen. Let's pray. God, that's our prayer. As we look back at 20 years, not even in the life of Christ Central, but even in our own lives, the struggles of that we had even this past year, as we start another year, Father, we can count more failures, more struggles. Even now, as we look to the world today, we often find hopelessness. As we think about the election year that's coming up, we find hopelessness. As we think about our own struggles, our own pain and sufferings in our own lives, struggles that we have within our own sin that often entangles us, things that we don't see, the systematic issues that still entangle us, the things we're learning in Sunday school, recognizing that we're not taught at times Father, we pray, we cry out, hoping against hope, knowing that, Lord, your work is not done yet. You are continuing to work out your grace upon not only in our lives, but the lives of your people as a whole. So we commit ourselves again. Who is like our God? Our God who keeps his promise to us, who loves us despite our failures, who gives us hope in Christ, who cares for us, who has compassion on us, who shows unfailing love by dying on the cross, rising again and calling us to live for him. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.